You're listening to the DC Real Estate Podcast, the podcast where we focus exclusively on all things local to the DMV area. Local investors, local knowledge, local experts. Our journey starts now. Hey, welcome back to this week's episode of the DC Real Estate Podcast. My name is Russell Brazil. I am an associate real estate broker with Arla at Properties. And my name is Sarah Frank. I am an agent licensed in Maryland and DC, also on the District Invest Group with Russell. So one of the things we want to talk about here is how to get creative with your rentals. Uh, everyone sort of thinks about the main way to, to rent out your house, and that's to a one group of people or your family um, and collect rent on it. But particularly as interest rates start rising, um, we're getting squeezed here on the rent. So we wanted to really talk about some more creative ways to rent out your house to get more money out of it. Right. So we think as investors, a typical rental is a long-term rental, a 12-month lease. But in some areas, well, I should probably say most areas now, especially in an area like where I am in Canton in Baltimore, things like high property taxes and just the cost of borrowing money nowadays is causing people to look at other options like maybe doing a midterm rental where you're furnishing the property. The lease lengths are more like 90 days to six months. You're able to achieve much higher rents, but it's not quite as high maintenance of a job as managing an Airbnb. Yeah. So there's sort of five main subcategories of how to rent out the property. Um, and so as I mentioned, the first way was sort of the market rate tenant. And what that means is I'm just renting it out to one person or one group and I'm collecting what the market rate tenants are, are paying on that. Um, and as Sarah mentioned, the midterm rentals is one of the other uh, strategies and there's sort of three other strategies in addition to those. Right. So you can do the short term rental like Airbnb. The issue with somewhere like Baltimore is that they are really tight on Airbnb regulations. DC as well, actually. Most of the time you have to be an owner occupant living in the property to be able to Airbnb any section of that property. Um, a lot of people who buy big row homes in DC use another strategy called rent by the room where they'll buy a larger property, say it has five bedrooms, and they will rent each room individually to different renters for whatever time period, um, you know, legally makes sense. And then sort of one of the other main ways is to rent it out to specifically to Section 8 uh, tenants. Now, in the state of Maryland, as well as D.C., um, source of income is a protected class. But some people will actually particularly try to advertise to the Section 8 crowd because there's some locations where Section 8 will pay substantially, sometimes a little bit higher, but sometimes substantially higher uh, rents than what the market rate could be. Yeah. And even in some private industry, if you're interested in renting your uh, property by the hour, I'm sure some in industries pay a lot of money for that as well. So that's always a consideration. Yeah. Do you know what the going rate for that is? Or, I don't. You know? okay. We could figure it out. Lewis, pull it up. Yeah. <laughs> I got you. Um, so, so sort of just a recap on the big picture frame. So we've got market rate tenants. That's one. Section 8 tenants is two. Short-term rentals, three. Mid-term rentals, four. And renting by the room is sort of the fifth way. We have a whole nother episode on the specific strategies involved with Rent by the Room uh, with Ron Gallagher. Check that episode out. Um, but let's touch on the Section 8 rentals um, first. Um, well, we have an episode on that as well with... With Joe Asamoah. Mm -hmm. um, so there are certain neighborhoods, and particularly in D.C., that have really, really, really high Section 8 rents. Um, some of those neighborhoods are Tacoma, uh, the eastern parts of Capitol Hill, like Kingman Park and Barney Circle, 
um, Logan Circle, Columbia Heights, just to name a few of them. So let's say Kingman Park as an example. Uh, a five-bedroom rental for the market in Kingman Park is about four thousand a month. Uh, on Section Eight, that same property rent would rent for fifty-five hundred a month, which is a huge, huge premium. Yeah. So shout out to Jeremy, our friend Jeremy, recently finished up a renovation on a duplex he bought a while ago. He did a two hundred three k renovation. He basically added a bunch of bedrooms to the top unit, so now it's a like five-bedroom two bath and the bottom unit he's doing a midterm rental strategy he's going to make more money on the on the section eight unit than he is on the downstairs just because of where it's located he's in capitol hill east basically kingman park area and he's able to get such a premium on that section eight he'll eventually turn the basement the bottom unit into section eight as well because it's more hands-off than dealing with the short term he doesn't have to furnish it and no matter how the economy turns, you're always going to get those Section 8 checks, which is really appealing to a lot of investors. Yeah, and one of the great things about the Section 8 program is guaranteed rental income of the government's portion, right? Which is usually a pretty high portion, say 90% of the rent. And that's getting direct deposited into your bank account on the first of the month. No chasing down tenants for your rent. Um, it's just there every month. And there are a lot of programs in Baltimore um, outside of Section 8 that are also affordable housing programs, but maybe have a work component to them. And I've seen with some investors, they get into trouble with doing those programs versus Section 8 because once the work aspect stops, the tenant no longer has gainful employment and then they start coming up short and then eventually stop paying altogether. So Section 8 compared to other affordable housing programs is probably the most steady that most well-researched and staffed of any of the programs, even in Baltimore, where you're not getting those huge premiums like you get in D.C., I still prefer it sometimes for investors versus doing market right. Yeah. And so our next two strategies are kind of tied together, short-term rentals and mid-term rentals. Um, throughout most of our metro area, um, most of our local jurisdictions are – very anti-Airbnb, anti-short-term rentals. And there's a reason to this. We have a housing shortage in the area. So our local governments don't want our residents being displaced by everyone buying up short-term rentals, taking those rentals off the market for long-term tenants. Um, so each jurisdiction in our area defines a short-term rental differently. So D.C. defines a short-term rental as 30 days or, or less um, but Baltimore is different, right, Sarah? 90 days plus or 90 days, less than 90 days is considered short term rental in Baltimore, which is three times anywhere else. So yeah. it basically makes it impossible to do a true short term rental. Yeah. And so one of the reasons then we get to the midterm rental strategy is because we're forced to by the laws in our area. Right. So if we can't do a short term rental or if we're highly limited in the amount of days that we could do it. If we can get someone in there for just a little bit longer, um, then not only can we get a rent premium over what the market is, um, but also we end up with less turnover. We don't have to clean the apartment every three days. And this is a huge benefit of Baltimore investing is the hospital system. Um, similar to like cities like Houston, where there's a huge network of hospitals, there's both the University of Maryland system and the Johns Hopkins system there. So the number of travel nurses, travel practitioners that you have to rent those spaces for three to six months is huge. You're getting really good quality tenants. This sounds horrible, but they're hardly ever there. They work crazy shifts. They're very good on the property. 
So I have a lot of clients who come from, maybe they're living in Northern Virginia, but they want to invest in the nicer areas, Baltimore, like Canton, Fells Point, Fed Hill. They're looking for the midterm rentals that they can furnish. You're not supplying things like you would in an Airbnb. You don't have to buy like paper towels and shampoo. shampoo and it's not like, you know, a hotel, but you are still furnishing it and you have, you know, the ring doorbells and just like the safety features that people would look for in a short-term rental. And you're actually executing a short-term rental for yourself. So I live in the property, so I could legally do a short short term as in less than 90 days, but I veered away from that because I'm super busy and I don't have time to be managing constant move-ins and moves out. So I switched to a midterm rental. I have people there from usually like a month to five months at the longest stretch. I'm still getting a huge rent premium and what I would get for long term. And it's way less turnover and management. Yeah. So what kind of rent are you looking at on, on a roughly monthly basis with the midterm rentals? So oh, I, and this is in the Canton neighborhood in general for like a one bedroom. Yeah. Or, so my basement unit, I call it, I have a single family, but it's basically a non-conforming duplex. The basement is kind of like a studio apartment. Typically for a long term, I could probably rent that. It has parking included. So that throws it a little bit farther north. It would probably be like 1200 or so to rent it long term. Because I have the midterm renters in there, I probably get about $1,800 a month. So that's a huge premium. That's 50% more money. Yeah. And especially because I bought the house using a low down payment loan, a PMI. So doing that was a no-brainer for me. It made it so that I'm paying no dollars to live there myself upstairs, but I'm also cash flowing a little Mm -hmm. bit, which is really hard to accomplish on that first property. And I see a lot of uh, midterm rentals listed in the Canton neighborhood for around $3,000 a month. What is a a two-bedroom? rent for in the market there. Yeah. So everyone's shocked always to hear this. A good in the Canton Fells Point area, three thousand dollars a month is not atypical for a two bedroom. Sometimes you have doctors, nurses coming for the in. midterms. For the midterm. But what's a market rate on one of those looking at like? Oh gosh, probably two thousand, less than two thousand. Yeah. So again, a fifty percent rent premium to go from a normal rental to a midterm rental. Right, especially if you have things like parking, convenience. It's the convenience factor being close to the hospital but not too close to Hopkins Hospital because that area is a little seedy. Yeah. Um, and so in D.C. then, so in Baltimore, we have to do 90 days or more in the midterm rentals. In D.C., we have to do 30 days or more. Um, and your crowd in D.C. that's typically using the midterm rentals. Um, State Department employees is a big uh, factor there. So they're just always rotating back into D.C., doing 30, 60, 90-day trainings, and then they're going back out to whatever country they're getting deployed to. Um, another uh, segment I see renting in D.C. is military relocations, people that want to move here, buy a property, but it takes them time to buy, right? So they they may rent a, a midterm rental for 30 or 60 days until they find a more permanent housing solution. Right. So talk a little bit about corporate housing, too, because I don't see a lot of that. Um, I probably could if I reached out to Hopkins and actually tried to make a connection. If you're I'd say if you're a multifamily owner and operator in Baltimore, that would be a great idea to reach out to the directly to the hospital systems to see, hey, do you do, you do voucher? Yes. So the corporate's going to be a pretty similar strategy to midterm, but the marketing of it's going to be just a little bit different. So when we're looking at like say traveling nurses, a lot of the marketing is going to be done at the hospitals or in certain Facebook groups. When we're looking at corporate rentals, um, often we're going to hire a third party corporate rental company that will, sometimes that company will lease out the property themselves and then sublease it to, you know, these midterm tenants, or sometimes they're just operating sort of a, 
domain. So uh, furnished finders, an example of that traveling nurses would use, but um, some of these corporate rentals have similar portals that they're advertising and just people coming to DC for 30 days, six weeks to do some sort of business and then they're leaving and they, they want nicely furnished places. They don't want to be in a hotel. They want a kitchen because mm-hmm. um, they don't want to eat out every day. Like if you're in a hotel, so corporate rentals can be, you know, 50, 60, 70% more than the market rate. Um, and so you can get a lot more rent. And typically consistency too, right? Because they'll usually have a reservation in place no matter if someone's there or not. Yep. So you're, it's always rent that you can count on having. Yep. That's especially important, I think, for multifamily operators. It kind of allows you to adjust risk a little bit. You always have constant booking, at least some capacity to kind of bear down on vacancy a little bit. I know when I worked for a big multifamily developer, that was something they were constantly looking for was corporate corporate uh, relationships so that they could have a block of the building. Just always know that there will be at least be the leases there. So. Yeah, and it is in whether you're doing corporate strategy, a short-term strategy, or mid-term strategy, uh, there is more work involved, right? So, with my most of my tenants are long-term tenants. I sign someone up for a lease, and I may not have to worry about turnover for three years. Um, so, you are turning over more often. How how often would you say your mid-term tenants have been staying? Anywhere from a month to right now I have a girl in there, a girl, she's a woman, um, for five months. And I wanted that. I get less rent from her because I give a discount. I book through Airbnb this year because you can claim it's a whole tax thing, but you can claim income instantly from Airbnb, which is why I'm using bookings through there. Um, But I did that on purpose because I'll be out of town for the holidays. I'm not going to be home to be able to oversee cleaners and stuff like that. So doing a longer booking gives me flexibility. Same thing with midterm versus long-term. If you have crappy tenants, they're only going to stay for a few months. So they're out faster, which a lot of people, when they do long-term, they could be messing up the place for three years and you won't know until you get back in there. And what would you say in between your tenancies, what is your average sort of vacancy been? How long till the next person comes in? I haven't had the place vacant for more than a day since I started it. That's pretty good. Yeah. I, and I really put z- almost zero work into it. Um, obviously, when I was doing short term, a few days at a time, it was it was a part time job. I, I don't think I'll ever go back to doing that. But now I have my cleaner locked in. I only need her every couple months. Do a deep clean. New people can move in in the afternoon. Yeah, when I'm when I have a vacancy in between tenants and my long term rentals, I'm almost always looking at at least one month vacant. So okay. someone's moving out the last day of the month. It takes me a few days because I usually have to do, do paint touch up, have the cleaners come through. Um, it takes me a few days, and then no one's moving in until at the earliest, the next first of the month. So I'm always vacant for one month, and if I'm if I'm vacant for one month every three years that works out to like a two and a half percent vacancy rate but your vacancy rate is uh shockingly even substantially lower than that well you don't have as much of a consideration from seasonality as you do for long term so if you sign um, a lease that expires in january for long term the amount of runners looking to start a new lease in january is much lower than the summer months whereas with midterm there's always kind of new contracts starting for travel nurses. People come in uh, for the holidays to visit families. There's a lot more flexibility. You're not locked into, you know, if I sign this lease today in January, I'm going to have to deal with the same vacancy issue a year from now. Um, so that's definitely why I like it a lot. 
And what would you say um, your turnover costs are? So you got to get cleaners in there. I got cleaner. I mean, it's such a small space. I pay them a hundred bucks, tip them, tip them 20 bucks. But nice. I, I found these people I had to vet. I went through a few bad cleaners before I found these people, but they're really great. And I can call them on a Tuesday and they'll be there on a Wednesday, which is. And I'd say awesome. on average, I'm spending about $500 on a turnover between a couple hundred bucks for the maids and maid service. And then a couple hundred bucks for my painters to go and touch do some touch ups. Yep. Right. Yeah. We might have like loose, you know, even occasionally some random repairs that might bump that price up. Right. And like, even, even in such a small space like mine, like the HVAC broke, um, my last runner I had in the HVAC to the whole house. So I had to have them come in. So luckily she was a surgical resident. She had a 22 hour surgery. So I waited until she went into surgery and they got the whole thing done while she was performing a surgery, which was a love travel nurses and healthcare provider. Like I said, they're never there. They're always working. So you said you're booking through Airbnb and as, uh, as anyone that uses Airbnb on either side knows the fees were expensive. So if it were up to me, I would always book through Facebook. There's a travel nurse Facebook group. Um, whenever I want to make a little extra cash that month, I will sometimes do a one month booking um, via Facebook. I'll say here, I'll post all about the property. I'll put the Airbnb link in there so they can go to Airbnb, look there. And then Airbnb, I hope you're not watching this. I uh, will be <laughs> like, let's just not go through Airbnb. We'll, I write them a lease. I'm a realtor, like, but you can, if you're anyone, you can find a lease, a Maryland lease, yeah. write them a one month lease, secure, you know, security deposit equal to the month. Um, and it's just, you make way more money that way. Cause the fees, I think a couple hundred dollars in fees, which is unfair to the nurse, I think, and to the landlord. Yeah. Unfair to everyone, but I mean, they got to make money, but it, it's substantial. It's they not, make a lot of money yeah. though. on my little, my little basement. <laughs> it's like, because after cleaning fee, et cetera, it can be up to $600 more than what I'm receiving than yeah. the, that they're paying. You charge the, you pass the cleaning fee on to the tenant? Yeah, it's 100 yeah. bucks. Like some cleaning fees, I mean, you know, if you go to book a, a place for three days in Orlando, it'll be 500 bucks for the stay and then like a $400 cleaning fee. Yeah. Like, what's, what's the purpose? Yeah. Cheaper to go to a hotel at that point. Very cool. So they're making a couple hundred. They're making like 400 bucks then. City's making a lot of money too. City tax as well. I'll have to do a breakdown on another episode, but I looked at it the other day and I think the amount the nurse was paying was like 2,100 for a month and I was getting 1,400. Hmm. And then it was like 300 in city taxes, occupancy taxes, and then 200 Airbnb hmm. and then the cleaning fee. And then if I also do a pet deposit now, I didn't used to, but I got burnt one time. Yeah, tell us about that uh, story. <laughs> Well, then people lied. They they said they had one dog, and then I w they only stayed for two days. But the amount of damage done was terrible. They had a little kitten. The kitten peed everywhere, just ruined all the linens. It was traumatic. But I learned from that to require a big pet deposit. I think I do like a three hundred dollar pet deposit now. And pet owners will, will pay it because I I use Airbnb and VRBO, and I only book places where I can bring my dog. Mm -hmm. um, and I've paid substantial pet deposits. People are always very thankful if they're allowed to bring their dog. Yeah. And especially I've had two tenants now that I've ended up watching their dogs for extended periods of time. All of a nurse, one of my nurses a few months ago, she wanted to just like go and travel Europe for a month. She was like, can I leave Huck with you? Her giant uh, golden doodle. And we were like, yeah, now we love him. And he stayed with us for a month and it was great. She paid us, of course, but... Pet owners, a lot of people say no to them and close doors on them. So if you can set up a system that they won't ruin your property. Then yeah, I use good. the same strategy with my long-term tenants. So 
I found that um, nobody wants to take pit bulls. And I have a pit bull, so I love pit bulls. Mm-hmm. Um, so I end up with, and I take pit bulls as a landlord. And I, whenever I have a tenant that is pit bull, they are always so grateful because they cannot find housing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I charge, I don't charge pet fees or pet deposit, but I do charge very top of the market, even sometimes over market rents. Mm-hmm. And people are, it, they pay it and they're ecstatic because they can't find any place else to live. And they stay for a long time. And yeah, I'd say my typical tenant that has a pit bull, I'd say they typically stay five years. Right. Yeah. And that's less turnover cost for you. So it saves you a lot of money in the long term. Yep. So anyways, we're going to wrap up here and we'll talk to you guys next week. And thanks for listening in. Thanks for listening to the DC Real Estate Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to contact the hosts, reach out to them at info at dcrealestatepodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you access your podcasts. 